But when rents are going higher and higher and higher, and um, the prices, I should say the prices are going higher and higher, but the rents aren't keeping pace, then you've got a bubble. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guests, I want to mention FunNet Flip because FunNet Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on, uh, or the main two things, are the deal and the money. Uh, so if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt, and uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Best ever listeners, it's time to enroll or re-enroll in a healthcare plan if you're an entrepreneur, a real estate investor. And the way to do that is by using Stride Health. The reason why is because you save a lot of money, $400 on average. They'll uh, save you on your health care plan over the course of the year. And they've got a personal concierge service that uh, the team doesn't work for an insurance company. They are your advocate. And they'll answer any health-related question that you've got. Uh, so we've got to do some sort of health insurance plan. Why not go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever and see how much you can save. Um, have a personal concierge service help you along the way and do something that you got to do anyway. So go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever and check it out. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and well, really glad to have you and, and glad that you're joining us today. We've talked to Robert Kiyosaki from Rich Dad Poor Dad, Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, and this show is all about cutting through the fluffy stuff and get, getting straight to the real estate insights that move your business forward. With us today, we've got a seasoned veteran in the mortgage industry, and then also in the property management industry. How you doing, Drew Seigert? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me on your program. Yeah, glad to have you, my friend. Drew is the founder and operating partner of Royal Rose Property Management. They have 403 units under management, to be exact, Drew also has 17 years experience in the mortgage business as a mortgage broker and as a mortgage banker. And uh, he's based in Detroit, Michigan. Is that correct? 
Well, the Detroit metropolitan area, yes. Detroit metropolitan area. I, f- I figured it was Detroit in your bio whenever you said you help people invest their money wisely in the Detroit residential area. So I, I just used context clues and figured you were in Detroit. So with that being said, Drew, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Oh, the background, you pretty much covered most of it. Uh, I've got two degrees and I went and got an engineering degree and then that wasn't good enough. So I went and got a MBA. And I actually got those in Detroit from the great uh, school, Wayne State University. Give them a little plug. It's a great urban university not many people know about. Uh, but, uh, you know, I got into real estate, mortgages, all that kind of fun stuff. Fell into property management because uh, I also started buying rentals when I saw a lot of the you know, guys I was doing loans for that were buying stuff. And, um, and then one of them actually moved out of town and he had 14 properties and he asked me to help him manage it and do a few things. And before you know it, I was doing that for him and several other people. And it just kept going from there. And then when uh, the got out of the mortgage industry after a while, and that ran its course and, you know, worked for banks and kept doing the property management stuff. And now it's grown big enough where it's a full-time job. So I want to spend the majority of our time on property management, but I do want to help myself and perhaps some other best ever listeners make the, the proper distinction between a mortgage broker and a mortgage banker. So what's the difference? Oh, it's very minute. Uh, a mortgage banker based, I'm sorry, a mortgage broker, it, they don't use their own money. They're using somebody else's money so they never hold the paper as it seems to be, or the loan doesn't even close in their name. A mortgage banker, the loan closes in their name. You know, They'll have a line of credit, a business line of credit that they'll close the loan on. Uh, and then they'll typically, not often, but or, I'm sorry, not always, but usually a mortgage banker will turn around and then sell it at some point down the road. It could be immediately, could be a month, could be a year. But that's the major difference is whose money is going to the closing table for the, for the benefit of the borrower. Is it the banker's money or in the case of a broker, it would be the underlying underwriter company that would be going their money. They would send the check. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And thanks for boiling it down so simply. Some of the pros and cons, I think, are immediately apparent of each of those. But can you just list out the pros and cons as you see them for being a mortgage broker versus a mortgage banker? The mortgage broker usually has better, you know, they have less overhead. So you're usually going to get a better deal overall from a mortgage broker. That's the best benefit. Uh, The biggest negative is, as you kind of maybe inferred on your pickup, is that, uh, you know, the money doesn't always show up at the closing table sometimes, uh, especially when the mortgage meltdown happened in 2008. Uh, well, started in 2007. A lot of companies went belly up and the mortgage brokers were not able to close a loan because their source of funding was out of business. And there was a lot of clients that, you know, couldn't close on their purchases or anything like that, let alone the refis. So that's the biggest negative. Okay. Why'd you get out of that business and, and get into property management? Well, the government got involved and passed a whole not a lot of new laws and uh, seriously crimped the expertise part of the business. That's why you know, I went and got all those uh, accreditations and everything like that because I took my profession very seriously. And unfortunately, there was a lot of uh, bad apples in the in the bunch that uh, you know a lot of bad mortgage brokers that uh, you know screwed everybody they could just to make a quick buck. That may that forced the government's hand in in going to what I call overregulation. You know, typically that's what happens. The government overreacts. They're, you know, slow to slow to react to begin with, and then they overreact when they do so. And you know, it just didn't make it any more fun. And then you really today, you know, if you're trying to get like a fifteen thousand dollar loan or twenty thousand dollar loan, a mortgage broker can't charge enough to make it worth their time. So those clients that are looking for little loans or hard loans to do. 
are going to be stuck going to the bank and hoping the bank has enough time to do it, but they really are out of options. So it's really discriminated on competition, in my opinion. Uh, and that, I just got out of it. It ran its course and it just wasn't fun anymore. Too much regulation. So, And certainly property management keeps you on your toes and there's all sorts of different uh, fun activities to be had within managing 403 units. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you've learned from the management of 403 units? Well, I'm going to segue with a little topic or a little point. Just um, I made how the uh, mortgage business was underregulated for a while and a bunch of shysters were in it and ruined it. I see the same thing happening in the property management business. Maybe I've got a unique perspective on it coming out of the mortgage business like I have. But in the Detroit market per se, per, uh, specifically, you know, from our opinion that we've seen, about half of our competition isn't even properly licensed. And so that's one big thing for your listeners to keep in mind when they're picking a property manager in any state, you know, maybe contact your state or something like that first to find out uh, the state regulators or whatever to find out what are the legal requirements or the licensing requirements for property managers. And then as you're interviewing them, make sure that they uh, you know, are licensed and can provide proof of it. Yeah. And before we get into the things you've learned, let's talk about that. What license in Michigan do you have to have? You have to have a real estate broker. The company has to have a real estate broker's license. And then the agents that are showing properties, because you don't own them, because you're showing somebody else's property, the agent, I'm sorry, the people showing the properties all have to have a real estate, uh, just a regular realtor's license, an agent license. Who do you call to determine if the property management company has a real estate broker's license? Well, in Michigan, it's actually pretty easy because you can just go to the state website and there's um, a subset of the website called LARA. I apologize. Off the top of my head, I forget what it stands for, L-A-R-A. And it allows you to go look up anybody's license, whether it's a property manager, a mortgage broker, a mortgage banker, a builder, hairstylist, whatever. Michigan makes it very easy. You can just double check it right online. If you know the name of the company or the or the number, yeah, the license number. If you know the name of the company, then then you can search for it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And you can do it. You All can right. do a keyword search. So you don't have to know the entire formal name. You know, like with Royal Rose Properties, you could just probably type in Royal Rose and find it. You know. All right, Drew. What are some things that you've learned along the way of managing four hundred and three units? You've got to be organized, and you've got to have systems in place. Otherwise, it's a house of cards and it's one sneeze away from all coming down and all hell breaking loose. What specific type of systems do you have in place that you didn't have at the beginning? Well, we started out using Excel spreadsheets to track everything. Then we segued from that or grew into uh, using um, QuickBooks. You know, and there's an overlay that you can buy for QuickBooks for property management that helps a lot. But, you know, as you start scaling bigger and bigger, you know, we now use a product called Propertyware. And it's, you know, it's specifically designed for the property management industry. So it has a lot more things that it does, you know, that QuickBooks does not. So I think we transitioned from QuickBooks to property where right around uh, like 75 or 80 properties. And we were doing just the uh, Excel spreadsheets up to about 40 before we went to QuickBooks. So, you know, you scale it up and you've got to, uh, you know, get better products and services that you're using. What were the main things that you improved upon from Excel to QuickBooks? Better tracking, you know, being able to generate more professional looking invoices for things and, uh, you know, better reports to the owners. You know, here's your payment and here's how we calculated it type of thing. 
it was just easier to generate those in bulk versus, you know, trying to do it in a spreadsheet one at a time, different tab views and stuff like that. You know, it also obviously made your, you know, bookkeeping for the IRS easier, you know, because it's already it's already in there when, if you set it up correctly. And by the way, a quick uh, pointer for somebody, if you're going to use QuickBooks for managing properties, you want to set up classes. It's called classes in QuickBooks where you can say, hey, I've got a uh, electric bill. Well, you set up that electric company, whatever the name is, as a vendor, and then you set up a class for that for each property instead of setting up a separate account for each utility for each property. We did that initially and then quickly, luckily, learned very quickly, like after only a month or two, about classes. So we were able to reformat everything without having to recreate too much. But I would highly recommend doing the classes route and, you know, hire an expert. If you're going to do it, hire an expert, pay him a few hundred dollars to set it up right, just to set up, and then you can execute it. Uh, but if you don't have the foundation built correctly, you're, you know, it could be a lot of hassle. And then main improvement from QuickBooks to now what you use PropertyWare. Correct. What's the main improvement there? Too many to list. Okay. I mean, it's online, number one. So each owner and each tenant have their own unique access so they can go. It's in the cloud, so they can go online at any time they want and uh, see a lot of the information there that we are sharing with them. So it answers a lot of questions and it, it validates a lot of things and gives them, you know, information It's key these days with the internet. So that's the biggest thing, I think, is just everything's online and it's allowed us basically, you know, we're, we tell everybody we're 99% paperless. So we don't keep pieces of paper. Everything's scanned and digitized and, uh, you know, uploaded to the cloud basically, and then also published to, you know, owners and tenants as need be, as they, you know, if they need access to it. I was reading something on your blog and it was around overdue rent and it was titled when to let it slide and why. Can you tell us about that? Like what, what are your thoughts on overdue rent whenever you're managing a property? Well, again, a little step back on that is that I, you know, the biggest mistake we see do it yourself landlords make is on the eviction process and collecting rents. You know, everybody gets busy with life, with work and kids and family and the holidays and whatever and summer vacations and stuff like that. And it's really easy to let a tenant, you know, buy a tenant excuse and say, okay, yeah, I'll wait a couple weeks. Don't. You have to have a process. That's one of the biggest processes we're most proud of is, you know, rent's due on the first. You have a five day grace period on the sixth, you know, maybe seventh or eighth, depending on, you know, if it's a weekend or something like that. We're sending out eviction notices. We don't care what the excuse is, period. And that starts the clock in Michigan. You know, it's a seven day. We, you know, we got to send that out and then we've got to wait seven days before we can go to court. But that gets the tenant's attention. So if they, if they're a good tenant, they'll call you. If they're a bad tenant, they won't call you. And that tells you something also. They get a seven day eviction notice and they don't call you. But you've got to do that religiously and don't ever bend. Even with, you're letting them slide. Now I'm segueing into your question is when you're letting tenants slide, even for good reasons, still send that seven day eviction notice. And then we hold, when we do let tenants slide, I mean, the reasons, I mean, everybody's human, everybody makes mistakes. So if I've got a really good tenant that, you know, I've been dealing with for six, seven, eight months or longer, and they've always paid on time and they've been easy to deal with and they've always rational and reasonable and, uh, and they call up and, you know, they're proactive and they say, hey, this just happened. You know, I'm going to be late because my company messed up my payment or something like that. And so they messed up payroll. And we're like, okay, thank you so much for contact. Our standard response is thank you so much for contacting us. Please understand we still have to send you the seven-day eviction notice, but we'll hold off and let it slide for a few days 
before we send it to the attorneys and really you incur any costs or any issues if what you're telling us is true. You know, if they say, hey, I can't pay on the 5th or whatever, I got to pay next week on the 13th. We still send the eviction notice out on the 6th. 6 plus 7 is 13. Hey, they're going to pay before I even send it to the attorney anyways. I don't need to let them know that. I always want to say like I'm doing them a favor, you know, but uh, we'll let it slide, you know, versus the person that's calling me up. That's nothing but a problem. And, um, you know, they just constantly and we're constantly chasing them for payments. They're constantly late. They're constantly breaking things and trying to get us to fix it for them. You know, we may not let them slide because we know it's not going to end well. What would you say is your personal specialty within the company? Creating systems and following through and making sure everybody executes them. Other than property management software, are there other systems that you've created and followed through on? I mean, you name it. I mean, showings. I mean, I've created a system for doing showings because if you're, uh, you know, if you're a do-it-yourselfer out there, I'm sure you've been doing this for at least a year. You've been stood up on an appointment and, you know, we pay our people and we want to make sure their time isn't wasted. So uh, we've drilled down, a, uh, created a system that uh, tries to minimize wasting time. For instance, you know, somebody calls up, we have standard questions we ask them to make sure that, um, the, you know, that they're properly screened. You know, they're screening questions before we even, you know, schedule a showing. And then once they schedule a showing, you know, we've got uh, strict guidelines on, you know, when following up. You know, most tenants want to see something in the next day or two. But even then you're calling you know, at least an hour before the appointment to confirm it. You know, and depending on where the property is demographically, you know, the lower demographic areas, people blow it off, it seems a lot more. Uh, and they forget or they do something else or they already found something and they're never going to call you to tell you that they already signed someplace else. So, you know, we have a system of following up with that. And, um, you know, even after the showing, there's a system. OK, follow up with that person to find out what their feedback is for the owner and, you know, what are their plans and uh, are they going to send an application in? You know, we've got a process for processing applications. You know, there's a thing that we follow. Uh, we just recently wrote an art, another article out there on our blog and uh, oh, can I mention BG? Yeah, yeah. At Bigger Pockets, it was can you overscreen tenants? We think we do a very thorough job and we have a process, but you know, you want to be careful about just following blind, you know, blindly following credit scores or something like that because it doesn't always tell the whole story. When you are showing, going back to the uh, process that you've implemented, during the showing, do you have your agent bring the application with them so that they can hand to the prospective resident? Yes, always. They, it's a two-page application. We actually copy it on you know, two-sided paper, well, you know, one piece of paper, two sides. And we've really tried to, you know, some of our, we've seen out there, you know, three, four or five-page applications, but you know, keep it to two pages is our best advice because we had it for three pages for a while and it seems like they are always missing the last page or something. You know, tenants don't want to fill out a life story for an application if they don't have to. I mean, they're, they're renting a house, they're not getting a loan type of thing. Although, you know, we bring a lot of our um, mortgage underwriting skill set to that process of, uh, you know, and we catch a lot of fraud that way because we're, we know what to look for on different pay stubs and W-2s and bank statements. We've even seen a frauded credit report somebody tried to turn into us, which is why we always pull our own. What's one thing, one tip from your mortgage underwriting skill set that you can share with the best ever listeners as it relates to the tenant screening process? 90% of the time, if a tenant's in a hurry to get into the property and they tell you, you know, it's Thursday today and, you know, I got to I gotta be in this Saturday, nine times out of 10, it's not, it, it, they're hiding something. 
there's a reason they're in a rush that's not a good reason. You know, 10% of the time, yeah, they got a valid reason, but 90% of the time, they're a bad tenant that's being evicted or they're trying to scam the system and get you to hurry up and do the deal on a handshake and not do any background checking or anything like that. We recently had a deal like that. Well, it's been about three months, I think, so not that recent. But, uh, you know, a guy brought to the uh, application, was ready to go and had cash and was like, here's the month and, uh, you know, one month security deposit. Here's the first month's rent. I'll give you even another month's rent up front. Here it is all in cash. I got to move my family tomorrow. And we're like, no, 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 no. And it was a newer agent of ours. And they even called and spoke to me. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. You know, I understand. But he's got to fill out the application and we got to process it. And sure enough, we started processing it. And, you know, there's credit issues, which weren't the deal killer, but his employment was a deal killer. He really wasn't employed. So that was the problem right there. Drew, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? (laughs) You make your money when you buy. You make your money when you buy. That's the best I've ever heard. It, that would have uh, stopped a lot of people in the last, you know, real estate blow up, implosion, whatever you want to call it, from losing their shirts if they would have, you know, focused on that instead of speculating on uh, property values always going up. I figured with a guy with your background, you'd say you make your money on the management. No, actually, there's three components when you look at property rentals. There's three components that you can save money as a do-it-yourselfer. You know, there's finding properties. You can either hire that out or do it yourself. There's, you know, you're going to have to do some maintenance or some renovation work. And then there's property management. You know, those are the three key areas that you have as a property owner for rentals. And I listed those in a specific order because if you look at them, which one pays the least amount per hour for your time and your time is your biggest investment, it's property management. So it's the first one you should delegate. Just delegate it wisely. You know, and then the next one would to go would be, you know, you can save a lot of money. Uh, 20, you know, most builders and contractors charge a 20, 25 percent markup on doing their um, you know, doing any work over the cost. So that's the next thing you, you know, probably you can save a decent amount of money, but you want to get rid of that next and then focus just on making deals happen. That's where you make all your money is just making deals. Yeah. And, and for the record, I was referencing just making money, not necessarily managing it yourself, but making sure that it is effectively managed and you have the right residents in there and the, the maintenance is being taken care of. Yep. That's what I was referencing as far as making the money. Got it. Now we actually, there's another article on bigger pockets called Managing Your Property Manager that we wrote. So, cause it, there, you, it's just not like a mutual fund where you just get a monthly statement or quarterly statement and barely look at it. You really got to be careful with property managers and understand what's going on. And we're human. We do make mistakes. You know, we probably have an owner, you know, at, one, at least one owner a month that catches a mistake in our bookkeeping and, you know, human error. We correct it right away. We're not trying to rip off anybody, but there are mistakes made. We're, we're only human. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Go for it. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever book you've read? Best ever book would be, um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank. And I know it, and I'm thinking of it, uh, and you got me on this one, but... One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish? No, let, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're a funny man. No, um, let's go with... Oh, oh my God, I'm drawing... I can't believe I'm panicking on the spot, but I usually don't. This is intense. I know. Let's go with uh, Robert Kiyosaki's second book, The Cashflow Quadrant. Best ever personal growth experience, and what'd you learn from it? Best ever personal growth experience was... Going to a a pit bull seminar in Vegas that uh, taught me that Detroit was looked at as the worst place to invest ever, but it is a great place to invest, and it was a best kept secret for a while. 
When you said Pitbull first, I think of the singer, then I think of the animal. So what <laughs> Pitbull conference are you talking about? It was what it was called. It was the Pitbull conference on raising money. So Got it. Okay. It's just some catchy thing yeah, that they exactly. said. exactly. All right. Best ever deal you've done? I bought a house in a city here called Royal Oak, Michigan from a, uh, an agent that I knew, bought it sight unseen. He called me up and in 20 minutes I bought it. And what were the, what were the numbers? I bought it for, I think, $122,000. It appraised for $150,000, but after we put another seventy into it, it appraised for like two fifty. I still have it. It's the best rental I've ever had. Best ever way you like to give back? Helping people avoid the pitfalls that I've learned from. You know, you, you can't you know, learn from other people's mistakes because you can't make them all yourself. So I'm always trying to help people and, and, you know, with whatever I know, my knowledge and impart it to them so they can avoid the same issues I've already. I've, I've made a lot of mistakes. I can help you avoid a lot of them. Well, this is a perfect segue. What's the biggest mistake you've made? Oh, God, the biggest mistake I made was not having a crystal ball and selling every, all my real estate in 2004 before the market crash. What would you do differently if you didn't have that crystal ball? Were there any indicating factors that you would pay attention to? Yeah, today, you know, I'm seeing the same thing a little bit. So you got to be careful in today's marketplace because I'm seeing crazy loans being offered. I'm seeing money being thrown around that's chasing higher and higher risk for the lower and lower returns. And then the other thing, too, to watch as a real estate investor in any specific market is watch the rents opposed, you know, rents to buy, you know, rents versus purchase, because you can graph that out. And if you Google that, you'll find it. But when rents are going higher and higher and higher and um, the prices, I should say the prices are going higher and higher, but the rents are keeping pace, then you've got a bubble. When the purchase prices are going higher and higher, but the rents are not keeping pace? Correct. Why is that? I remember seeing a graph about Florida, Southern Florida, where people are buying, you know, paying half a million dollar for houses that were just, you know, in two years are going up like 25%, but the rents correspondingly were only going up like 5%. Got it. So how are you going to be able to pay for your rental property when you buy it if the rents aren't going up? And what's the best ever place for the best ever listeners to reach you? Best ever place would be to email me at drew at royal, R-O-Y-A-L, Rose. R-O-S-E, just like the flower, props, which is short for properties. So it's P-R-O-P as in Paul, S as in Sam.com. Drew at RoyalRoseProps.com. All right, Drew, thank you for being on the show and sharing your advice with the best ever listeners and talking about the systems that you've implemented, your experience as a mortgage broker and banker. And by the way, the difference is the mortgage brokers don't use their own money. They farm it out to somebody else or another institution. The mortgage banker closes in their name and they sell it. They usually sell it down the road. And how you've used that mortgage underwriting experience to help during the application and screening process. One example is that phony credit report that a resident provided, but then the 90% statistic that you mentioned was very interesting where you said about 90% of the time, if the resident, prospective resident is in a hurry to get in the property, they are probably hiding something. I would say I, uh, in my experience, I would agree with that as well. It's about 90, maybe even higher than 90%. And the systems that you have in place, you went from Excel to then QuickBooks to then Propertyware, which you use now. And then the biggest mistake that you see with do-it-yourself landlords is in the rent collection process. And what you do is 
if there is a resident who is a good resident and they do have some sort of like a one-off circumstance happen where they're late, then you still go through the paperwork process of the eviction so that you can eventually trigger it if you need to, but you work with them up until that point and tell them that, hey, you have a little bit more time. But all in all, you want to have a, a very clear-cut process in place in any any aspect of your company and business. So thanks so much for being on the show, sharing your advice with the best ever listeners, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Joe. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it's time to enroll or re-enroll in a healthcare plan if you're an entrepreneur, a real estate investor. And the way to do that is by using Stride Health. The reason why is because you save a lot of money, $400 on average. They'll uh, save you on your health care plan over the course of the year. And they've got a personal concierge service that uh, the team doesn't work for an insurance company. They are your advocate, and they'll answer any health-related question that you've got. Uh, so we've got to do some sort of health insurance plan. Why not go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever and see how much you can save, um, have a personal concierge service help you along the way, and do something that you got to do anyway. So go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever and check it out.